I don't know. Weird tradition, but whatever. Um, you have your own ways of how all that gets set up in the house, right? Do you have any traditions about when it comes down? Is it when you just finally recoup enough after all the celebrations and, the, oh, that's right, it's June and the Christmas lights are still on? Or is it, you know, you're, you're, you know before 2016 hits, before that next year hits, we have to get all that down? Well, what's your system? What's your plan? I, I grew up in a church that actually had this really cool event where um, they would have everybody bring uh, the, their, their used Christmas trees to the church. And then on, on a set date, um, I don't remember the exact date, how long we waited uh, they'd have this big pile of Christmas trees in the, in the backyard of the church, and they'd have the fire department come out. We'd do this massive bonfire with hot chocolate, and I'm sure there's all kinds of other fun stuff, and more than just playing with fire, but that's all I remember as a kid. Um, I think every once in a while a fake tr tree got thrown in the mix, and that made all kinds of fun colors. But, um, so that was kind of our, our tradition, you know. But here we stand approximately 364 days until our next Christmas, depending on which, if you count today or not, any of that. Uh, we actually have one extra day to wait this year because it's leap year. So February we'll have 29 days this year. So we've journeyed through the season of Advent. Uh, we've been waiting to celebrate Jesus' first return, and now um, it's a whole year until we get there again. Are you thinking about it already? Are you thinking about next year's Christmas? Uh, I'll be honest, I have a little bit. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing where Christmas is on a Sunday next year. And so instead of doing a Christmas Eve service Sunday or Saturday night and then a Sunday morning Christmas service and just realizing that the, 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 the nightmare that would be from a, a volunteer standpoint, planning standpoint, to ask that the people to give up that much time with their families on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day and to really realize how that would be programming against our culture. We've said, you know what, let's put a plan together to, to free people up to go and engage with their family and their friends and their community on Christmas Day and, and not have church that Sunday. Let's do an awesome, huge Christmas Eve service. And so we've been, I've been talking about what that would look like and the times and the dates. So we're already thinking about it. I don't know if you are or not. Maybe you love Christmas and you're trying to find a way to leave the decorations up all year. Um, but the season has come to an end. So the question we have to ask now is, what do we do while we wait for Christmas again? What, what do we do in, in, in this, this time where we're, we're a year out? This, this concept of waiting got me thinking. I started to think about what other things do we wait for in our life? And what do we do while we're waiting? In that place, what do we do? So one of the most obvious ones that came to mind right off the bat for me is we wait in lines. Just about everywhere you go, there's some line to wait in. To put your order in at a restaurant, to receive tickets for a show, to buy some merchandise, to go and receive some kind of service, um, to get a, a seat on a ride or in a movie theater. We have lines that we wait in. There are people, there's an industry that has, has kind of come out of some of these lines that we have, especially when certain products get released to the market and people go crazy for them and they line up for three days to try to get be the first ones to get them. There's an industry of professional waiters. Not waiters like, uh, may I take your order please, but I will go sit in a line for you at, at a, an hourly charge and then when you come back, you can have your spot back and then I'm going to go on, you pay me and I go on. The, the, the people who that is their full-time job is to go wait in lines for tickets and merchandise. So what, what do you do while you're in those lines? I don't know about you, but my family, we make up silly games. Um, you know, trying to guess what the price is going to be of whatever we're purchasing or whoever gets closest wins. And then, you know, when you find out you, you, know, you weren't closest, you, you change the rules so that you do win. Um, you know, all kinds of different fun things you can do. Uh, I thought maybe waiting for a new adventure to start, maybe a new job, or there's something new on the horizon 
And what do you do when that's worked, when you're in that season of waiting? There's some kind of preparation, right, that, that usually is taking place where you're getting ready for what is ahead. Um, maybe, maybe you got injured this Christmas. Maybe you kind of over-celebrated and uh, something happened, you tripped, you fell, and you got an injury, nothing life-shattering, but something that you're waiting for that injury to heal. And what do you do in that season? Maybe you had to get a cast or a brace or maybe just kind of protect that one spot. You ever had an injury somewhere on your back or your side and then you know, there's a holiday or a family function and everyone, maybe your family is a family of huggers and they all go to hug you and they kind of get right in that spot. You're like trying to protect yourself and here's all these different things that we do while we're waiting for that to heal. Maybe you're in a position of, of uh, wanting to get engaged or you're engaged wanting to get married um, and there's a sense of in the time of waiting we can invest in each other. We go through premarital counseling. We can uh, plan for the wedding, send out invites, book the halls, uh, select food, cake, and photographers. All kinds of different tasks to do in the waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a child to be born, and it's a time to set up the nursery and get the crib all set up. I've shared my story before in the past how uh, our first daughter was 10 days overdue, and it was like, uh, it got to the point where we had to induce, and so we knew we were, again, the same deal, we're going to the hospital at a set time to go have this baby. It was like, uh, up till 3 o'clock in the morning that night, uh, I, I was still getting the house ready. Okay, we're not ready. The baby can't come yet. We're not ready. And it was already long overdue. And there's all this prep still to be done. Maybe you're reading the latest parenting book or you're baby-proofing the house, trying to sand off one last corner uh, so that everything is rounded. Um, as we wait for Christmas or, or a birthday or any time where we receive gifts, what, what do we truly do in this time of waiting? Well, see, prior to the birth of Jesus, um, the Jews were professional waiters. They had all kinds of things that they were waiting for in their life. There was a promise that was made to Adam that, that the son of Adam would crush the head of the serpent. This is, this is foretelling a, a Messiah who would come and ultimately destroy the evil one, would, would take out Satan and would bring peace between God and man. There was a promise given to Abraham that God would make his lineage in, into a nation that would be a blessing on all people, that God would provide land for his people. His people would become a nation. There's all these promises we can read in Scripture and see how they've been fulfilled. But there were hundreds of years sometimes between when the promise was made and when the fulfillment happened. And so there's all kinds of time of waiting for the people of God who then become known as the Jews. Even Abraham's promises were mostly realized after his death. Do you realize that? That God made these promises, that he fulfilled those promises, but Abraham didn't get to see them uh, on, in his uh, life here on earth. It was after he died that a lot of this was realized. There comes a point where the Jews were enslaved in Egypt for about 430 years. Imagine being the generation that got to year 400 or 410 or 420. Imagine that sense of, of, of wonder. God, are, are, you, are you coming? Are, are you going to rescue us? Do you, do you hear our prayers? Do you see our need? There was weight in, in the midst of suffering there, waiting for rescue. And then God leads them out, and, and all of a sudden, they're, they're out in the desert wandering, and he leads them to a land and says, hey, this is going to be for you. And they send spies out to go and look at the land, and they come back and they say, uh, do we have the right address? Did, did, did we use God's? coordinates on google maps or what's wrong because this land is inhabited and they're big and they're scary and they're bearded i don't know what that means 
Ed Levin is. Um, but two, two of the spies said, hey, no, no, we can do this. We can go take the land. And they said, no, 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 we're, we're going somewhere else. And God said, hey, because of your lack of faith, you're going to wander for 40 years in a, in a new generation. Will come up. I'll, I'll leave that new generation in. And then the new generation comes and says, hey, they're st- still inhabited. But God leads his people in and fulfills his promise. But there's all this waiting they had to do. All kinds of prophets throughout the, time, the, the history of God's people foretold the coming Messiah. But then we also get to the point where the last prophet that we've recorded in, in Scripture is Malachi. Um, and there's 400 years between Malachi and then when Jesus enters the scene. Actually, when John the Baptist comes on the scene um, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's 400 years in there of silence. They, had, he, he, they heard from God through his prophets, and all of a sudden, nothing. There's all kinds of waiting. There was a promise in the Old Testament that... Um, God would restore his people and would bring that about through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that was something else that they were waiting on. And what did they do while they were waiting? Well, kind of one of two things. Either they pursued God and followed after him, or they strayed. Yeah, I think the same can be true of us as we wait on God. It is it can be a time where we stray and we kind of wander away from the things of God, or we can be pursuing him and engaging in with God. And the first Christmas was significant because uh, the Messiah was finally given. All this waiting for this, this promised Messiah, and all of a sudden he was given. There's all kinds of uh, prophecies that were fulfilled on that day about the Messiah. We looked at one at Christmas Eve, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They've been waiting to see this scripture fulfilled. And all of a sudden, the Messiah is born. That's one reason why it was so exciting. All of a sudden, these angels appeared to the shepherd. Not just the fact that a bunch of angels appeared while you're out tending to to your flocks, but they said, hey, the Messiah has been born. They go to visit him, and, and word spreads about this. What's interesting is despite all those years of waiting, both then and even still today, there are many Jews who, who didn't at the time and still don't today accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and so they're left in a position of waiting for a Messiah that has already come. And they would say, no, we're waiting for the Messiah to come, but he already has, and his name is Jesus. There are also many Jews who who did, and and even today, do acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. And and Jews or Gentiles, Gentiles is anyone who's not Jew, uh, those who stand here today and say, yes, I I believe Jesus is Messiah, we're still in a period of waiting. It's waiting for his return, waiting for his second advent. And that's going to be our focus here this morning, is even though we've celebrated his first coming, we want to remain in this position of waiting. We want to remain in this place of anticipation and longing for his return, his second coming, his second advent. There's all kinds of places throughout scripture where uh, we, we, we can read about this promise of a second coming. I'm going to just rattle a few off here, so follow with me. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Saying he will appear a second time. He will return. 
Jesus talks about returning after preparing a place for us with the Father. In John 14, he's talking about, hey, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. There are many rooms. And once it's set, I will come back and I will bring you to the Father. We see this imagery of, of a second coming, of a return. We see in Revelation, it really, like I said, all throughout Scripture, all these different things that, that affirm this promise of a second coming. In Acts chapter 1, uh, right at the beginning of the book, the disciples have been, uh, Jesus has been talking to the disciples, and at this point where I'm going to read, he's just ascended into heaven, and then we read this in Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. And while they were gazing into heaven, so Jesus just ascended, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And these are angels appearing to them as two men. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He'll come again. He's coming back. Why, why do you stand there looking around? Hey, there's some stuff you, you should be doing right now uh, and before he comes back is, is the implication there. And that's what we're going to look at here today. And so as we are in the presence of God, because of the work of Jesus, because he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us so that when he returns, we can be taken to be with the Father. We have the Christmas gift of a promise. A promise that he'll return. And until then, we wait. What does that look like to wait? So Jesus began to prepare his disciples before he ascended uh, in Acts chapter 1. We see that. Uh, see, Acts is actually a, a second book. Uh, Luke uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote Acts. And so Luke talks all about Jesus and what he did. And then Acts is a little bit of overlap uh, where Luke kind of talks, gets up to the ascension, and then uh, Acts begins with the ascension. And so you kind of get a few days of overlap in there. Um, but then Luke, uh, the second book of Luke, in essence, the book of Acts, talks about what Jesus did uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit and, and through his witnesses, through the church, through his people. Many would say, you could say, Acts is, uh, one way to say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. And so Jesus is, is preparing the disciples uh, for his, the fact that he's about to ascend to heaven. He says this, in the first book, uh, this is uh, Luke speaking here, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's, that's who he's writing to. He's kind of writing this letter. Hey, we're not sure who he is, but that's kind of one of the persons, people that he addresses the book to. In the first book, that would have been the gospel, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. If you're familiar with the, the story where Jesus rose from the grave, um, and you weren't really sure the timeline, maybe, okay, did he just rise from the grave and then go into heaven right away? We see here there's about 40 days where he would appear to different people and engage with different people. And so it wasn't just, hey, one person who went and saw an empty tomb has this story that we now buy into, but there are, are multiple people, multiple accounts of the risen Jesus as he appeared to, to hundreds of people over those 40 days, and their stories are recorded. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So Jesus with his disciples, he's saying, hey, don't, don't leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Very similar to we are today, there's a promise of the Father that we are waiting on, that he will return again. 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So basically Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Father's promise to be fulfilled, it's going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The, bap- the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, w- when the disciples hear this, they get excited. And it leads them down a train of thinking. You see, that they knew from the Old Testament scriptures that, that had this connection between the restoration of Israel, the, the, the people of God, and the, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ezekiel 29 is one, of, I'm sorry, 39 verses 25 through 29 is one of the places where we see this, where it begins talking about the restoration of Israel, and then it concludes with this connection to uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that leads the disciples to this question that they ask in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, the, the disciples, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time? You, you just said, hey, wait in Jerusalem, because the Holy Spirit's going to come. Does that mean you're, is this the time where you're putting everything back right and, and you're restoring everything? You see, like the disciples, we have to ask ourselves, are we at a point where we're ready for Christ to return? If, if now was the time, are, are we ready for that? Are we longing for that? Are we excited for that? And if we're not, I think maybe we can ask, well, what are we doing in this time of waiting? What do we do in this time between where Christ has already come and there's forgiveness found in, in receiving him as Lord and Savior, and yet he's not yet fully returned? Well, what, what do we do in this time? Well, there's a couple different things we can do while we're in this time of waiting. That's what we're going to kind of focus on here as we close out. First thing we need to do is we need to wait well as a witness. Wait well as a witness. Take digital notes. I'm going to wear out your W key today. Wait well as a witness. See, waiting well is to actively wait. Waiting, it's a motivation towards action, not inaction. Think about it. One's activity should increase as the moment we're waiting for draws near, right? I think sometimes we have this, this misconception that waiting is just kind of a sitting and a twiddling of our thumbs and a disengagement, when in reality it's just the opposite. As we get closer to the event that we're waiting for, waiting involves action. It moves us to a place of, of, of doing more. Think about it this way. Was there less or more to do as the holidays approached? Kind of a trick question. Is there less or more to do a, a, as a dinner party draws closer? You may say, well, there's more because, okay, now you have to finally start doing all the things in your to-do list. But as you start knocking out some of those preparations, maybe the work to do might start to become less because you're accomplishing some of it. But the action, the, the working of it in and of itself increases because you're running out of time, right? So regardless of how much or how little there is to do, our action increases because that deadline is coming. And those are the things in which we know the deadline. This is one in which we don't. Imagine if you're in a class and your professor said, hey, at some point this semester, you will have a pop quiz worth a quarter of your grade. I'm not going to tell you when. It's just going to happen at some point. Well, a diligent student would say, I, I better be ready for it at any point. Someone would say, oh, well, there's a chance. It'll probably He'll wait till the end of the semester because that we'll, we'll have more information to draw from. And they just sit back and kind of check out and, and aren't active in the work. 
Well, then if it comes early, well, you're out of luck. Because as we wait, it moves us, it calls us to action. So let's wait well as a witness. And waiting well is to actively wait. So then the question kind of we see the disciples asking is, how much longer do we have to wait? Is now the time? And if not now, well, then when? And, and Jesus kind of responds to their question then of, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He says in Acts chapter 1, 7 through 9, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. He's saying, don't worry about the when. The Father knows. He's appointed a time. It's all set. Don't worry about the when. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. In essence, he's saying, hey, you're not going to know when, but here's what you do in the meantime. Receive the power of God and be my witness. So to actively wait well, we must rely on the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, which unifies us. It's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, is it unifies us See, the Holy Spirit is a seal upon us for our salvation. When we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, the Holy Spirit is a seal. Meaning, hey, this is something that, that, that is done. It's, it's a one and done. You don't have to do it again. It's not like a, 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 um, you have to be forgiven for your sins again. But well, once you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. When we do sin, we need to come to a heart of repentance. Yes, but we've been forgiven. And the Holy Spirit is that seal upon our hearts. All who trust in Jesus for salvation, a scripture would teach, we, we receive the Holy Spirit. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And that unifies us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we rely on the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, be reminded that we are unified in Him. But we are also gifted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first day the Holy Spirit was poured out it was on day called Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration in the life of the Jews, a celebration of the day, that, a day to celebrate when Moses received the law and passed the law on to God's people. And so this was a festive time, a big celebration. All the Jews would gather around in Jerusalem. They all speak different dialects and different languages depending on where they came from, but they would still gather together and celebrate the giving of God's law to the Jews. And the first time that the Holy Spirit poured out on the disciples. All kinds of signs and miracles occurred, some of which that they were able to speak languages that they didn't know and share the gospel with people of other languages, with Jews who, who didn't speak the same language as them. 3,000 that day alone were saved, gave their life over to Christ because of how God worked through that. And some would take that and say, okay, well, that, that means that, okay, it, you haven't received the Holy Spirit unless stuff like that happens. Uh, unless we can speak uh, in tongues or speak languages that we don't know. Unless thousands are coming to the Lord. And that's not the case. It's not the how it played itself out, but it's the gifting of the Holy Spirit that's significant there. So if you were to ask the question, if I haven't spoken in tongues, does this mean that I don't have the Holy Spirit? No. Because we're all gifted differently and in various ways. But we've all given at least a gift be used for the work of God. And sometimes that changes. Sometimes God will work in it and grant us uh, a gift, and His Holy Spirit will work in us and through us in ways that we never never thought we could. Maybe you've experienced this, where you have a co-worker who pulls you aside and says, hey, you go to church, right? You believe in that Jesus guy, right? 
just tell me about it. I'm really struggling right now. Here's three questions. Why is there evil? And um, how can we, you know, if he's God's son, how can he also be God? And, you know, one other really big question that's hard to answer. And, um, and next thing you know, you're, you're just you're, you're sharing things from your heart and, and, and biblical truth. You're like, I, I didn't even know I knew that. You walk away from the conversation, and it, whether they respond by receiving Jesus or just, you know, kind of take the next step in their journey, you walk away, and you're like, God, thank you for the way you, you gifted me. Thank you, thank you for the way you gave me words to speak. So sometimes it's, it's for a moment or two. So other times it, it's for the, the, the call he has in our lives. But God will gift us. And he gifted those uh, disciples to be able to speak in languages they didn't know. And, and thousands came to him that day, and it continued in the days beyond because they were waiting well by relying on the power of the holy spirit so to wait well we must also be a witness to the work of jesus on the cross we have a value here at metal and we say disciples make disciples and i talked about this a little bit with our, our members at our annual ministry celebration and we're kind of unfolding this over the next year in 2016 it's our goal to see disciples making disciples at, at an increased capacity and we also remember that discipleship begins with evangelism. Sometimes we say discipleship, growing in your faith, growing in your understanding of, of who God is, and then letting that play itself out in your life. Uh, we say it's different than evangelism, sharing uh, God's word, sharing the, the truth of Jesus, that, he, uh, that salvation is found in Jesus. But in reality, that, that's one in the same thing. Uh, evangelism is the beginning of discipleship. We, we can't grow in, in Christ if we don't know who he is yet. And as we grow in Christ, we're called to be a witness, to share him with others. And so as we talk about disciples making disciples, we need to acknowledge that discipleship begins with evangelism. This is something we're going to continue to teach on as we move into 2016. We need to wait well by being a witness to the work of Jesus on the cross. Sharing what God is doing in your life. So we need to wait well in being a witness. We need to wait and wonder not wondering. We need to wait and wonder, not wondering. See, wonder is amazement at what is known to be true. When you see God for who he is, maybe if, if, last time you're in a place of wonder is when you just saw an amazing landscape, amazing sunrise, amazing mountain or canyon. You just stood and you looked out over it and you're like, God, I, I can't believe that you set all this up. This is just, this is I'm just in awe. Wonder is amazement at what is known to be true. It's a firm truth you can stand on. Wondering is more like daydreaming about what could be true. There's no foundation in, in wondering. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong in wondering. I'm saying that we need to wait in wonder. We need to wait on what we know to be true. And the more we learn about who God is, the more we can look at him in wonder. The more we see his characteristics, we say, God, you are amazing. You're wonderful. And the more we know about who he is, the firmer our foundation is on which we stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, when we know that we're on a firm foundation, we know that what we're doing is of God, we know it's not in vain. We know that we're on a firm foundation. Do you feel like you're there as we wait for Christ to return? Do you feel like you're steadfast, like you are immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? If you don't, I would encourage you towards 
conversation with other brothers and sisters in Christ about who God is. I'd encourage you towards digging into his word to understand more uh, about who God is, what, his, what he's like. Because as we learn more about him, we grow in wonder. And our wondering decreases because we realize what is true. And the more we daydream without firming up a foundation, the more we're kind of tossed about to and fro. If you don't know something about God, if there's something in your heart, I, I just wish I knew this about God. Seek that answer. And I'm not saying this is always going to be given. Sometimes, you know, just if we think about the reality of who God is, there's going to be things that we can't fully grasp. And if we could grasp every little bit of God, that really wouldn't make him God, right? And so there's things that would be hard to grasp. But let's still continue to investigate. Let's continue to dig in. Discuss with others. Seek wise counsel. Let us wait and wonder. My wife and I, I drive home, we're having a conversation. Um, there's some conversations that are, are building up in our community right now, in our culture. This question about do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? And so we were discussing that a little bit. And um, this isn't the context where I was planning to share all this. But the short answer is no, we don't. Um, if you disagree with me, let's have a conversation. Come talk to me afterwards. Let's, let's, let's dig into that and really unpack that. And so typically I don't just want to throw stuff out there and just say, just believe me. Um, but, you know, we can dig into that and see what, what does God's word say? You know, what, are they, what does their faith say? Okay, are they the same God? No, they're, they're not. And so we had this question where we, we posed, and uh, I asked Sarah, I'm like, well, so do Jews and Christians worship the same God? And my gut reaction was, well, well of course we do, right? Because it's the same God, and then he gave us Jesus, and the Christians acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, and, and Jews would say, no, he's not, and that's really the only difference. But I thought about it. I'm like, well, hang on a sec. Jesus is God. And so if there's someone who's saying, I'm following the God of the Old Testament, but I don't believe Jesus is God, is that the same God? I'm like, well, I guess it's, it's like an incomplete God, or is that the same God? And I was almost un 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 uncomfortable in, in, in saying this, but I'm like, no, I think no, Jews and Christians don't worship the same God. And then more of my wife, we discussed it, we went to God's word and saw it, like, uh, it, it, it's pretty clear. No, we don't worship the same God. Now that may sit a little unnerving or unsettling, again, but the, 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 so there's theology, what is God like and, and understanding God's word. But then it's also, what do we do with that? And, and that's where it's important, again, understand, okay, what does God say? Does he call us just to go around telling people how they're wrong? Or you think this, and that's wrong. You think this. That, no, that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to, they will know we're Christians by our love. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Uh, uh, Sarah, I remember, and I were talking about this kind of stuff um, after Christmas dinner, and we talked about how when Paul goes into Athens, and Paul would be someone who would say, no, that, that the God, uh, you know, uh, if, you're not, if you're saying that Jesus is not God, you know, you're not worshiping the same God. It's at least an incomplete God. And, but he's not going around saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He's saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me, let me tell you about who he is. And so he goes into Athens, and Athens was a place of all kinds of religion, and they wanted to make sure that they didn't miss anyone. And so if, if you knew a new religion, man, they, all right, come on in, join the club, and we'll add it to the, the pile. And they had all these idols, and they had one idol to an unknown God. And so instead of going in and saying, hey, you're all wrong, Paul found a way into that, the context of that community to say, let me tell you about Jesus. And he said, you know that unknown God you have an idol to? Let me tell you about him. Because he's the one true God. And he shares, and they all want to hear because they want to hear about, about other religions, and he shares the truth about Jesus, and, and then they give their life over to him. 
faith. And Jesus not falling. And they're saved. And so let us continue to know and discover and uncover who God is and wait in a place of wonder at who our God is. Because as we understand who he is more, that will just sharpen us in our ability to, to walk in his ways and be about his work. So wait in wonder, not wondering. Finally, let us wait willingly, not wandering. Or I should say, wait willingly, not in wandering. What, what happens if you don't move up in line? If you're not willing to kind of keep continue in the waiting process? Well, someone else will, will step in, right? What happens if you wander away from the line? I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time, where you stand in line, you think, oh, I forgot something, and like, well, it's just over there. And you try to wander away, grab it real quick, come back, and some more people add it to the line. Or you see a shorter line, so you go over there, and then all of a sudden there's an issue at the cash register, and all of a sudden you see the person you were behind is now way ahead of you. And so you go back to the, you know, anyway, just stay in the line you're in. But see, at a minimum, it takes an increase in attention as time battles our focus. So as we wait, time begins to battle against us, right? The longer we wait, the harder it is to maintain our focus. But when we wait willingly, say, no, this is something I, I'm deciding to do, it helps us to keep our focus. You see, patience in, in waiting is not an ability to disengage. You, know, you see a parent, you're like, oh, you're so patient. Like, well, I, I just tune them out. That's not patience. That's avoidance. <laughs> patience is not an ability to disengage or ignore that which you wait for. But it's an intentionality and a fixing of your heart on that which you wait for. If you're being patient for something, you're thinking about it more, not less. If you're being patient about something, you're willing to wait because you know.
would make your name known in this nation, in this community, in this town, in our homes. As we close out 2015, Father God, we thank you for all that you've done. While we've waited on you, Father God, you have blessed us. You never abandoned us. You provide sustenance through the hardest times of this year. Father, as we walk into 2016, we pray that you would keep us close. Help us to have our heart fast in you, Father. That we would be immovable as we wait. Father, use us to bring many to you. And as our prayer, you would come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this all in your name.